there, everyone, and welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Jean McCarthy. I write the blog Unpickled, where I have been telling my story of life after alcohol since my first day of sobriety in 2011. I tell my stories there, and I invite you to share your stories here. Well, recovery is all about transferable skills. As we grow in one area of our lives, we can't help but be affected in another. And today's topic is one of those days. My guest is Kathy Tonbaugh. She is a CC, a certified professional coach who specializes, a certified parent coach who specializes in working with parents of teens or young adults who are struggling with substance abuse. Kathy is the creator of KathyTonbaugh.com, a website and blog providing information for families on prevention, addiction, and recovery. Kathy coaches parents who are concerned about their teen or young adult's drug or alcohol uh, use. She coaches individuals and groups where she uses research-based tools to help parents motivate their child to change and live a healthier lifestyle. And Kathy holds a Bachelor of Science degree from the University of Pacific. She was an educator at San Mateo School District for 15 years and lives now in Northern California. Kathy, welcome to the Bubble Hour. Oh, thank you so much, Jean. I really appreciate being here and love all the work that you're doing. So, thank oh, thank you. you so much. There's, there is just no shortage of wisdom and stories and insights, and it blows my mind all the help that's available and um, how long it takes some of us to reach for it. So, <laughs> mm-hmm, for sure, <laughs> it's it's so great that we have so many platforms now to do that. And the work you're doing is really important, I feel, because it's that nothing is scarier for a parent than to have a child that is sick and especially with a life-threatening disease, and, and that is exactly what substance abuse is. And um, no one knows that better than someone that's been through recovery themselves. As, you know, myself and, and my listeners uh, on this show, recovery is so close to our heart. And I really feel like as we learn from you today about how you help parents help themselves and their families, I feel like we will sort of invariably pick up things that we can learn about ourselves and, and in dealing with others in our life in various capacities. So I'm really looking forward to everything you can share with us today, but let's start by getting to know you a little bit better. So could I ask you to just tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, well, I'm a mom of three. I have two sons and a daughter. Uh, both, All of them are adults and um, lived in California. I'm in Northern California. I've lived here pretty much my whole life. I born, was born in Indiana, but, you know, lived in the West Coast my whole life, and really had a very normal um, upbringing, um, didn't have any big issues growing up. I did not, uh, I think I dabbled like many do uh, myself in, you know, maybe drinking a little bit in high school, and when I went to college, you know, did some of that experimenting, but um, for me, uh, when I finished college, it just felt like the right thing to do was to just put that aside. It was never my big focus. And I had studied to be a teacher. And so um, I did a few different jobs before I finally settled into teaching. But, you know, had my career as teaching, had became a mom with my, my three children. And 
uh, things went well. I mean, we had some ups and downs. Um, I went through a divorce, so was a single mom for a while, and that was always challenging, and I'm sure that had an effect on the kids. But uh, things went fairly well other than that until um, they were in high school, and I started to notice my older son, my oldest son, uh, two out of my three kids struggled with, with addiction. Um, my oldest son was heavily into marijuana and alcohol. And actually, when I say addiction, I'm not positive with him exactly what, if, if I could call it addiction, but we know, you know, he wasn't really managing his life as well as he could have. And so that was my first um, sort of taste into into addiction and, and our children, you know, struggling. So he was always kind of in the background. And I think for myself, you know, the alcohol and marijuana, it's always sort of like not as big of a deal. People don't get so concerned about it. Um, so as I learned when I was doing some work around him that, you know, it can kind of go on for decades because it's just kind of always there, but people can easily be in denial about how much it's really affecting your life. So that was kind of always in the background. And then my second son, you know, kind of went through and, and did fine. And then my daughter, who in her senior year, we knew something was not quite right. And then I discovered um, in her backpack one day her at the end of her senior year, um, I don't, and actually I don't even really remember why I was going in. I wasn't really searching her backpack, but I went in for something and found uh, something that looked very strange, wrapped in aluminum foil and we tracked it down and found out it was crystal meth. And uh, her dad and I were both, you know, pretty floored. I just never, you know, thought that that would be an issue with my parents, I mean, with my kids. I guess in the back of my mind I thought, you know, yes, they might drink, try that, and yes, they might smoke marijuana. Um, that might be a possibility. But I think because of my experience of, being, of, you know, experimenting a little bit but not having it take over my life, it just never – connected with me that this could be something that my kids could really go down that road with. So uh, with her, we, you know, listen, you know, it's embarrassing actually to tell the story, but she, you know, told us that, you know, it was her friends and she wasn't really doing it and yada, 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 all the things that kids say. And we, we believed her. I mean, we just wanted to, we didn't really want to face the truth. And I think for many parents, just like myself, you know, you kind of go into denial a little bit, especially at the beginning, because honestly, you really don't know what to do. So if you face the problem head on, that's important to do. But I think parents panic because they really don't know what the answer is. So for both of my kids, really, the oldest and the youngest, they both went off to college. And that was really when they took their downhill dive. She Managed to get accepted to Colorado. She went to Boulder. Um, my son went to San Francisco State. And both of them, really, that's when the drug use really took over. And I think for parents, you know, that's kind of a, a you know, a red flag, seeing how your kids are doing in high school before you send them off. But um, so my daughter, you know, she went away. She um, was there for about three semesters, had to do summer school to make up for it and all those kind of things. And then she, I went back and she really realized, I really realized that something was going on and she finally admitted that she really had become dependent on crystal meth. It was still a huge problem. And so that for me is when it really started, my life changed. I mean, I... Um, Felt like the rug had been pulled out from under me. 
I feel very lucky and blessed, though, because she was willing to get help. When I went back, she she'd had a boyfriend that had gone back there, and she that was breaking up, and he was part of the picture, you know, as sometimes happens. So that was ending. She had really not met any friends because she had been so involved in this drug use. So I was at a point where I could say, okay, please come home with me. I need you to come back, and we need to get this figured out. And she was willing to do that. So she did come back. Um, We got right on finding, trying to figure out some help for her. I just was insistent that, you know, we are, you know, she needs to get into treatment. This is just not okay. And I had no, I had no idea how to help her myself. So I knew I needed somebody else to, to really step in. So she ended up going to a wilderness program in Utah for about five weeks. And then they really wanted her to do something beyond that. And so she went to a women's program in Southern California uh, for, I think she was there about three months. So, I always have felt that the length of her stay in treatment, and I feel very blessed that I was able to send her to treatment because I know for many people that's just not a possibility, Um, and also the fact that she was willing to go because I know for many parents that's a struggle too to get their kids to be willing to go because she was 19. I mean, she spent her 20th birthday in treatment. Um, And then she did a sober living down. Part of the women's program, there was a sober living down there, so so she participated in that as well. So that, for me, opened up a whole world, and I was told to go to an Al-Anon program, which I did. You know, I went to different ones in my area. Um, I finally found a parent program, and that's really how my recovery started. I knew I was probably had been enabling her at different points, um, did not really have a clue at all on what to do. I grew up with three older brothers, and my parents didn't, you know, they all – socially drank, but they never had had problems. So this was really something new. I think the only only experience I actually had had with it, I had two older brothers who were half-brothers. My father had been married before, and his first wife had had a lot of issues with alcohol, and that had been a real problem. He had had to take my brothers, and they ended up living with us. His mom was, their mom was, was not doing well. So that was one introduction, but as far as my immediate family, I just had never experienced it. So this was all very new, and it was sort of interesting because you you know you get the language, you know the the terms that are being used. Um, I was learning kind of the Al-Anon slogans and all these different things, and it was helpful. I mean, it was helpful just knowing that I had a group to go to. There were other people in the same situation that I was, um, I finally found a parent group in my area, and that was helpful because I met other people um, that, you know, I liked, and, you know, we could kind of become friends beyond the group. So that, what I would say, was the beginning of my recovery, my real introduction into addiction and and all that that entails. Um, so my daughter did go on and, and finish, and she ended up going back to school, and she really kept going forward, so that was great. And then in the background, my son was you know, not doing anything horrendous, but just not really um, stepping up to his life in the way that we thought maybe he could, or um, it, we knew he you know, had, had talents and had a lot to offer, but just wasn't really taking advantage of that, I guess you would say. So... 
we finally, after many years, I mean, this is kind of a story woven together, but after many years, um, I had read the book, The Lost Years, and Christina Wanzelak happens to live not very far from us, about an hour away, and so I read her book, and I just had felt so um, frustrated with my son. I just thought, you know, we've got to, this just isn't good. It's just going on and on and on, and it just doesn't feel like it's getting better. So um, I emailed Christina and asked if she, you know, was doing interventions and if she would do a family intervention for us, and she said yes, and so we proceeded to do that, went over to Marin County and met her, and she helped us um, really look at what was going on and lots of discussion. You know, over a couple of days we talked about, you know, what the situation was. And my son was not willing to go to treatment. Um, and also I think there was, you know, for the adults in the, in the family weren't sure if, if that was the right thing either. Um, we went and visited a program, but he, he didn't want to do that. So she – figured out a couple counseling opportunities for him, and he, and he went that route, and he did some counseling, and so just worked on himself that way. And so they kind of had different paths, but um, it definitely affected us. And, you know, heart of my middle son, I think siblings are another unit of the family that are very affected by this. And I know my middle son, numbers number of different points, was very affected by what was going on with, with his siblings. So we're, so I guess from that point, um, I was a teacher, and I think for me, too, the other piece of this was being a teacher, and I worked in my neighborhood school, and she had been through school, so she was out of the high school and staying with my son as, when all this happened, but I think I felt a lot of maybe a little extra dose of shame and stigma when at being an educator, I had taught fourth graders, and I thought, oh, you know, I'm kind of getting them ready for middle school, and yet my kids are at home doing drugs. You know, I just it was like, oh, my gosh, this is, you know, really not good. Um, so that made it even a little bit worse, I think, in some ways, feeling like you should know the answers, but yet you really don't. So, um, yeah, for me, that, that kind of is where I started. And then, you know, I, w- I stopped teaching. I was at a point where my husband um, – was a little bit older and he had he'd retired and so I thought I'm you know I'm just going to stop teaching now for a while and was kind of not doing a whole lot for a few years and then I really this whole idea of recovery just kept gnawing at me I just it bothered me um, I think part of it was you know that I was an educator and I just cared about young people and I'd hear stories and I'd go to the meetings and I'd hear what the different people were talking about and I just it really bothered me. I just was like, this is just not right. This is happening to all of our children. So from there, I um, just really wanted to do a website. When I was teaching school, I, I loved technology. My class had a website. We had little, you know, kids would do stories. We were studying California history, and they would make missions, and I loved putting that on, you know, creating a website for them, and that was just something I really enjoyed doing. So that's something that I was another kind of drive. I just wanted to use those skills, and so I started, you know, had someone get a website going for me and had no clue, you know, really what I was doing at all. Um, Initially, I thought, um, I talked to my daughter. I said, let's do a site where we can evaluate treatment centers, and people can write in and talk about their experiences, and 
I realized pretty quickly that, you know, it's really different for everybody. Everyone has a different experience. They come into this for different reasons. That wasn't really – although there are people that do that, and I think they probably do a great job of it, but I didn't think that that would really work for me. So um, they added a blog to the – the gala did my website, said, let's just put a blog on there. And I thought, okay. So I started blogging and really wasn't really anticipating – doing that but I just started writing and that became such therapy for me I just started writing my you know feelings um, my experiences I wanted to create a place where I had been very confused and really didn't know what to do and I wanted to try to bring resources so other parents you know even if I could just touch a few parents who did not have to be so um, as confused as I was on, on what to do and what direction to take if their kids um, went down this road so that's really how I got started, and from there I um, connected with the Partnership for Drug-Free Kids. They found me, I think I'd left a comment somewhere, and they found me and reached out and wanted me to be part of their group, which was sort of interesting because what they were doing at that point, that's a, and I don't know if everyone knows about the Partnership for Drug-Free Kids. It's a nonprofit out of New York, and they... Um, have been around for quite a while, I think 20, 30 years, I'm not sure, but it's, it's been a while. But what they were trying to do at that time was have a parent network. And what they wanted to do was have two parents from every state be part of this parent network. And so you could kind of learn about what other people were doing in different states, and you could find out different projects. So actually, it was very interesting. We would meet, I believe, about twice a month, I think, on calls. I think we had two calls a month at that time. And you'd learn about different people. It really opened up my whole world about, you know, a, a recovery and addiction and what parents were doing. Um, and I think the thing, too, that really struck me were parents that had lost their kids. And I was just so touched by those parents who were willing to come to these groups, come to these meetings, and help other families. I just, you know, had so much respect for them and um that to me was so touching and amazing people. I really enjoyed the people I was meeting. So from there, I, you know, kept blogging, kept working on my, you know, website and then and meeting new people and going to my Al-Anon meetings and, you know, trying to get better, trying to make sure I made good choices for my kids, trying to um, not enable them and to take care of myself and those kinds of things that we hear in in recovery meetings, you know, really be healthy and encourage my children to be healthy. So at that point, then the partnership reached out again and said, we are starting this parent coach training program, and would you like to be part of it? And I had already decided that I wanted to be a coach. I thought this would be a nice way. I'm ready to break out from behind the computer and start talking to parents. And so I had already started my own private training for coaching but they said, we would like to fly you to New York, and we're going to do this training with the Center for Motivation and Change, which is a psychology group in New York. So I thought, wow, this is great. You know, um, First of all, I'm going to do this training that had been you know, explained to me, and I had not been to New York for a while. So that piece of it sounded really fun, too. So it was a three-day, I think we were there three days and three nights, a trip back. And um, so that's... You know, and all I had really been told about was the Al-Anon. You know, go to Al-Anon, and that had been good. I mean, I had learned a lot from Al-Anon, but it was really that let go. There's nothing you can do for your child. And 
that had actually been okay for me because at that point my daughter was really in recovery. My son was doing better. Um, but I always in the back of my mind felt like, oh, I just feel like, you know, I was never a tough love person. I mean, that was the other thing that, you know, people had talked about, you know, all these things that you're told to do. And that never seemed like a good fit for me. The tough love just wasn't right. It just didn't, it wasn't my nature. I'm not letting go of my kids. Um, and honestly, that's what I hear from so many parents. So I went back to this training, and the psychologist did the, you know, presented the information, and so that was the first time I realized that there was an evidence-based approach that you could use, and that there were things that you could do to help your kids, um, and it was just like all of us were sort of stunned. There was 11 of us in this training, and we all had been told one thing only, and never realized that there was also other things you could do. So. It was very eye-opening that, you know, there's other things you can do and ways to help and that uh, parents, you know, can make choices. It's not one-size-fits-all. There's lots of options. So that, to me, I just loved it, and I thought, okay, this this is a good thing. Um, And I've really been passionate about the, the craft approach. It's community reinforcement and family training, and it was started by Dr. Bob Myers in New Mexico, um, and that's a whole other story. I, I've gone to his workshop, too, and he's great. I really liked him as a speaker, and he's lived it because he had an alcoholic father, and then his mom, he felt, was really, you know, had issues trying to deal with that. So um, I really liked him because he really had experienced it and lived through the addiction. Um, but from this, then the Center for Motivation Change had taken over, and, not taken over, but they had also wanted to, learn more about craft and write a book about it and all that kind of thing and really focus more on parents as well as partners too. So it was both, you know, um, wives and husbands helping each other and then parents helping their kids. So, yeah, so that's kind of where I, um, where I, you know, sort of had my foundation and kind of a long story probably, but that's how I, you know, learned about on the, evidence-based, the craft approach, and as I said, I just really have embraced it. I feel like it's helped a parent. Um, I went on and, you know, became certified in coaching. I just enjoy doing that. I like working with parents, and so, yeah, so I'm just plugging away today, uh, working on on, in that area, and it's been rewarding. It's been fun, and it's been therapy for me. I mean, it's really helped me, you know, be hopefully a better mom. I'm hoping that, you know, what I offer to parents is, is useful and it's very rewarding. So it occurs to me that you're really standing in the gap in a lot of ways um, of that there was sort of an, a need there and you found a way to fill it and you knew it was there because you'd been through it yourself where, you know, Al-Anon was a big help to you and, and helped you through and yet um, you've sort of connected the dots and are offering parents like something more they can do with that and as parents to really custom use coaching to help custom fit a good recovery plan for their family because as you said there's so many different ways and there really is no there's no map (laughs) no (laughs) and and every community is different and every family is different Um, talk to me a little bit more about craft community reinforcement and family training is that correct Yes, it is. Um, and um, as I mentioned, it was um, started by Bob Myers. And uh, what they did, what I liked about it, um, 
Well, let me start with what it, the goals of craft. And the, the three goals of craft are to take care of yourself so they feel like it's so important for self-care because it's very stressful. And this could be parents or, or partners. Um, it's very stressful to have a family member in with addiction, substance use issues, and it, it goes on often for years, um, which is really hard, hard on a person's health. So there's a take care of yourself piece, and then it teaches parents or partners skills to help your loved one change. And then the other goal is to reduce substance use, whether your, treat, your, your loved one gets treatment or not. So I think often we feel like you have to have your child in treatment or your partner and that there's no other avenue. And what I've realized from CRAFT is there are many other avenues. Treatment is helpful, but it's not the only thing that you can do. There's lots of other options. Um, so for CRAFT, when I look at it, it's, you know, it's the self-care piece, and then one of the things that, that they offer are tools, are positive communication tools. And, you know, they teach parents, and I'm just, and every, I'll say parents, but it, it works for partners as well. But they teach parents how to talk to their kids in a way that you have less defensiveness, you have less confrontation. Um, you know, the instinct for many of us is, to start yelling and arguing and threatening our kids or, you know, um, kicking them out of the house or whatever we feel like, you know, you just become so angry that your child is engaging in this behavior and you feel like you need to discipline them. So we've realized real disciplining them is really not the way to get through this. This is a disease, as you mentioned. It's a brain disorder um, kids get it for a variety of reasons. Um, sometimes there's genetics. Sometimes, um, you know, the early use takes them down this road. Uh, they might have things like ADHD, I hear a lot, anxiety, depression are things that kids, you know, are, stri- are struggling with. And using drugs or alcohol really makes sense for them. I mean, it makes sense for a lot of reasons. And it's a good solution sometimes for kids because they, you know, they now all of a sudden they can fit in with the group, they have friends, people like them, all these things, until it's not, you know. And for most people, you can have the experiment, experimenting phase and then they can move on. But, we, you know, as, as we all know, that there's a certain group of people who it overtakes their life. I mean, their brain is just telling them you have to have this. So... Craft lets you know that, you know, there's lots of different ways to approach it. Um, And if you talk to your kids in, you know, a calm manner, kind of keep your emotions down, um, it's much more effective. So they give you, uh, you know, I won't go into all of it, but they give you real specific communication tools on how to talk to your kids in ways that are helpful. Um, It also talks about collaboration. I mean, this is another piece of craft, and with families it's so difficult is that it's hard enough to be parents. You, know, you come into parenting as two different people with different experiences. You know, the mom might have been parented one way and the father was parented a different way, and so you're bringing that to, into the family group. And usually you can make that work if things are going fairly well, but when you throw addiction into it, I mean, it really throws a loop in all of that because people approach this in different ways and have different philosophies. You know, I've got parents who... Um, some really want the tough love approach, and then 
the other parent really is not comfortable with that and some really embrace the craft and then others aren't sure about, you know. So it just creates a lot of issues around that. But the collaboration gives you tools on how to collaborate with your partner um, so you're helping your children. Um, it also talks about natural consequences and how to allow for natural consequences. So, And this is a piece that's hard for parents. Um, but what I like about it is that I feel like in the past we've been told, you know, there's one thing you can do, you know, you, you have to let go, you have to let them hit rock bottom, and they're very clear in the craft approach that letting our kids hit rock bottom is not helpful. Um, you know, as you know, people are not, you know, it, it can be a fatal disease. I mean, it, we know that. It, it, people are dying from this every single day. And I've had a number of parents who have, you know, followed that advice. And a couple of parents said, you know, they went and finally, you know, had one mom whose kid had been living um, on his own. She called it camping. Um, she had a good sense of humor, but she called it camping when, you know, he was homeless. And and she went finally and picked, and we talked, and she finally made the decision after learning about the craft push, and she went and picked him up because she'd been told you're not supposed to, and this isn't the wrong thing to do, and it's enabling if you pick him up. And then there was another parent I know who had a, a kid in a homeless shelter, and she felt like, you know, he he wasn't going to make it if she went and got him. And so it's I like the fact that it allows parents to use their instincts, and I think that's the important thing. I mean, there are sometimes situations where maybe parents feel like they do need to have the child move out of the house. I mean, every situation is different, but it's important for parents to, you know, they know their own children. They know what's going to work best for their family. And the other piece of it that I like is that you also need to look at the parent's stress level. If you're letting your child go and you are just going to be a mess and totally stressed out and your health is going to go down the tube, that's not good for anybody. So I like the fact that it gives you lots of options in craft. You can say, I'm going to draw my own line in the sand. I'm going to look at what I can deal with and what feels like the best for our family, and that's what I'm going to do. Um, and the thing that I try to bring into it is looking at supporting your child's recovery. Just you know, And I think every situation you have to keep asking yourself that. Am I supporting my child's recovery or am I supporting his continued use? And so those are you know, are, are questions that come up every single time. And as you know, Jean, it's complicated. This is not easy. You know, there's no one answer. But um, I do like the craft from the standpoint is it gives it, that it gives parents lots of options. And there's no have-tos. I mean, you know, you're using your best judgment and trying to, to make good decisions. But, again, you're, you're, you're using your instincts with it. So, um that's what I like about it. And the other piece that I oh, and I wanted to mention, too, is that the, um, the evidence-based part of it, Bob Myers has done quite a few studies, and other studies have been repl replicated of it. Of, he had, uh, I think, 12 sessions, I believe it was, and three different groups. And one group, and these were mainly, I believe, more partners and probably some parents mixed in, but it was family members in general. So it was both partners and parents. And one group was Al-Anon, one group was Intervention, and one group was the Craft Approach. And the Al-Anon, and the point of this, these groups was to see who could, you know, what the goal was is to get their child into treatment or to get their child moving in a better direction, willing to accept some help, willing to change their life. 
So the Al-Anon group had about a 13% result of parents able to get their kids into treatment or, you know, moving in a better direction. That being said, I want to say, and they do say this as well, that Al-Anon doesn't ever say that that's their goal. When you go to an Al-Anon meeting, you're not saying, I'm going to Al-Anon meeting and we're going to, you know, get your kid fixed. So Al-Anon doesn't promise you that. But I also think it's important for parents to know that statistic because I think they go to Al-Anon often with the idea that if I go to this group, my kid's going to get fixed. Um, but Al-Anon is very good for helping you just help yourself, you know, feel better, to meet other people in your community and that kind of thing. So intervention had about a 30% um, success rate in getting kids to treatment and or loved ones to treatment. And what happens often, they have said, is that People may go to treatment be, initially because, you know, they're in an intervention, you're told to go, and so they may they go, but they might not stay. They may only last like a week or two, and then they, they leave because they never really wanted to go in the beginning. They just felt like they were forced to. Mm-hmm. And also that there's resentment and anger sometimes with an intervention. Now, that's not being said interventions don't work. They do sometimes. So that's not to say that, you know, I know a lot of people are doing interventions and many times they're very successful. So, um, but again, I think it's just important to look at that statistic. Then Kraft had about a 70%. So 70% of the people were able to get their kids into treatment or their loved one. Um, so I, I really like that statistic. I mean, I felt like, okay, they've done some testing on this. This is something we know can work. Um, some parents dive right into it and really use all the skills. Some parents have a harder time with it, and you know, so they'll use some of part of it, but not all of it. It just, you know, so it just sort of just depends. But that's pretty much craft um, in a nutshell, and probably a kind of a long nutshell there. But it's, you know, <laughs> it's a, it's a program that I, you know, I just really liked it. I just, for me, it's like, wow, this makes sense. This, you know, I can buy into this. So, um, yeah, so that's – and the parents that I use it with, they really like it. Um, the kids start responding. You know, one of the main things, too, let me add this, is that they really encourage you to lean in and have a good relationship with your kids. I think sometimes we've been told to turn our backs, you know, let go, but they make a good point. You can't help your your child change if you don't have a relationship with them, if all you're doing is mad at them and you're not speaking or that, you know, they've left the house, you don't know where they are, you can't help them. So it's better to have a good relationship with them and work with them and use some of the positive communication strategies. Positive reinforcement is one of the big ones. So noticing what they're doing well and then allowing for natural consequences. And those are probably the two foundation pieces of craft. Um, for parents, I'll just add this one final note. I think when we see our kids are using substances, all you think of is, is negativity. I mean, you're mad, you're angry, you're scared, you're frustrated. So we don't think about being positive. All we're doing is, you know, we're worried, we're upset. But if many times the kids are, yes, they're using substances, you know, yes, they're not making great choices at the time, and maybe at that point it's not even a choice. But there's also some good things they're, they're doing. So Look for those good things. And sometimes, yeah, you have to look pretty hard, but try to find those because the kids that are struggling need reminders that, yeah, they are a good person. They do have good qualities. It's there inside them, but, you you know, they need reminders because they don't feel good about themselves when they're in the depth of their addiction. So 
Yeah, so that's what I like about craft. It just really helps parents motivate their kids. We um, we talk a lot on the show about patchwork recovery, you know, by which I mean using a program but also taking bits and pieces from other programs that work well for you and sort of customizing an, a whole life approach that, that works overall. It was a term that um, uh, William White created. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with him and, and the mm-hmm. white papers that he's written, but I love that that idea. And this sounds very similar to that, although it gives you sort of more structured tools to do it with, but it really is about creating a custom fit for your family. It makes me wonder, Kathy, would, that, would those tools be useful as well as a resource for a person in recovery with a spouse that was continuing to drink or use drugs? Would, would those tools sort of help to build a bridge between uh, partners as well? Oh, absolutely. Um, they And I talk from the standpoint more about, about being a parent, and I come into this because I was a parent, so that's the area, you know, the area that I like to focus on, but absolutely. They have Beyond Addiction is the book that the Center for Motivation and Change wrote, and then Bob Meyer's book is Get Your Loved One Sober, and both of those books focus a lot on partners. I think Bob Meyer's is mainly about partners. There's a few chapters in there where he talks about parents, you know, uses examples of a parent-child. But, yes, absolutely, these tools are definitely for partners as well. The Center for Motivation and Change has a parent 20-minute guide, which is kind of a workbook version of the Beyond Addiction, and they also have a partner's 20-minute guide. So, um, yes, they absolutely work for partners. Um, There's a lot of examples in Beyond Addiction, the book that they wrote, about partners using the craft approach and how it works. Um, And I do agree with you so much about the patchwork, and I tell parents often I feel like I – you know, when I went to Allen, especially towards the end, once I'd learned about the craft, I, my motto kind of to myself was that slogan, take what you like and leave the rest. And so I would mm-hmm. take from the Al-Anon program what I liked, and I tell parents to do the same, to take from Al-Anon, take from uh, the craft what you like, and put together your the program that works for you. So I like that a lot. Um, that makes sense to me. I love it's that. kind of a patchwork approach. Uh-huh. And I was also going to share, as you were talking about the positive reinforcement, it just it reminded me that when one of my kids was going through a little bit of a teenage blip, I went to a counselor to just say, like, I think I'm doing this wrong. Like, can you give me some tools? Because <laughs> my instincts were just, of course, I, like you say, like I just wanted to discipline. I was just mad, and I really felt like they should listen to me, and clearly that wasn't helping. And one of the best tips she gave me um, was that, uh, she happened to be reading a book about um, the d- brain development in kids, and I can't remember the author right now, but she said that they can, de- they can demonstrate that um, we get a hit of um, pleasure chemicals or whatever in our brain when, when we make eye contact with our mother. Even if our relationship isn't great, there's just it's like a callback to that mother-child bond when we're babies, and that eye contact with our mother gives us a pleasure hit in our brain. So she said, just make sure, at least no matter what's going on, you take a couple times a day and look your child in the eye and give him a little wink or like look in his eyes. And she said, even you can you can even say to him, I see you. Hey, I see you in there. I know who you are. And um, it seemed like 
so easy when she said it. Mm-hmm. And yet, wow, it's so powerful. And I even notice myself, like my mom is still alive, and I, I am even aware of that now when I'm with her, that I make an effort to look in her eyes so that we can both have that experience. And just that moment harkens back to me as you, as you uh, talk about positive reinforcement with your kids and when, when it feels like your whole world is falling apart and there, there's nothing good that you can see in what they're doing. Um, right. Something as small as eye contact can have such a positive effect. I, I love to ask that. Yeah, isn't that a great tip? I yeah, mean, I'm going to share that. I just wrote that down. I love that idea. That's good. That's a good one. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't express it very well, and but you know you what? I'm sure you can easily find that research and and back it up. Um, finding the the work that was behind it. I wanted to ask you about hurdles, and and parents. What are some of the biggest hurdles that parents face, experience in Seeking help or enacting help. I, I suspect we get in our own way a little bit and um, maybe our own ideas trip us up. But what are some of the things you seem to see recurring that parents come up against? That's a great question. Um, I think parents, you know, often, you know, as I mentioned, I think they they, you know, kind of start out like, you know, I need to fix my kid. I need my kid fixed. You know, I need that. And they kind of jump to that. I think one of the things that's really helpful is to first understand what's going on. So we know that addiction is not just a problem in and of itself. It's a solution to another problem. So it's really finding out what is the problem that's going on with your child. So I think that's one thing of just not jumping so quickly to fix it but to really figure out what's going on with your kid and to listen, you know, to really listen to what they're, they're saying um, and let them have that space to talk. Um, I th- a couple things that I also find with parents is the worrying piece. I mean, parents do, they worry so much and they go to that dark place really quickly. You know, you kind of go from A to Z, you know, it's, there's no middle ground. And so, you know, I think sometimes the fear overtakes parents and that becomes sort of an issue and they're kind of driven by the fear rather than trying to stay in the moment and and look at okay my kid's okay right now and he's doing well um, rather than jumping to all the what could you know the what ifs Um, and interesting and natural consequences I think I mentioned that before but that's also a big one that I think parents you know they want to follow through with the natural consequences I think following through is huge. One of the things that that they do say in the craft in which I try to tell parents too is that don't make any boundaries unless you are absolutely sure you're going to follow through. Like it's better to not make the boundary than to make a boundary and then, you know, find your you've gotten yourself manipulate, manipulated out of it or that you've just given in or that kind of thing because it kind of does a power shift, you know, that all of a sudden the kids running your child's kind of running things and making decisions. It's just not a good place to be. So mm-hmm. there's no hard and fast rules on what boundaries you should you should use, but to really think it through and make sure that that's something that you're comfortable with. And funny, I you know the other thing that that comes up a lot is parent as parents get their you know the children become get into recovery. They start changing. They start doing changing their lives, and it's like wow, this is so great, wonderful. And it feels like it's about 48 hours later and the parents 
I think, get, and I understand this. It's so, it's totally understandable. But they start worrying again. You're like, oh, my gosh, what if he relapses? And and I get that because that is part, you know, it is a brain disease. It's it's a, a, a disease that relapse is part of it. But that becomes another little piece that, that's um, an issue. So, you know, it's it, it's wonderful when the kids get into recovery and then it's just sort of staying the course. Everyone just staying calm and, you know, being supportive and letting him, keep move, letting him or her keep moving forward and trying not to get yourself, you know, all nervous about what could happen. So I think those are the things that seem to come up over and over and over again, really, with parents. You mentioned shame earlier as well for yourself as a teacher and feeling, mm-hmm. you know, shame. And I could see almost any parent saying, I am a blank, and so this is extra shameful for me. I mean, I hear it all the time for people getting sober themselves. You know, well, I'm a doctor, mm-hmm. so this is embarrassing for me, or I'm a business owner, and does that play into it? And then on the flip side of that, it really I'm noticing that young people are so open about everything in their lives. I mean, they've grown up with social media, and they're used to sharing details of their lives that – the rest of us are that's new to us and um so the idea of a lot of us grew up with having to get sort of through the stigma of addiction and recovery because we thought well it's supposed to be secret you know and non the anonymous part of it with somehow got mixed up in our minds to mean that it was a secret kids seem to not be feeling that way is there a disconnect at all between one generation feeling shame versus the other generation being more open about it or what are you seeing there um, that's a good one too. I think parents do feel a lot of shame, and that's probably one of the things I could have touched on as well for hurdles. I no, I think parents feel a great amount of shame. They feel, you know, I feel that they often say to me, you know, I'm I must have done something wrong. I'm a bad parent. Um, I have moms and dads that I've heard about that don't tell any of their friends. It's a deep dark secret. They're so embarrassed which is so stressful to do, I mean, to try to keep this big secret. Some people don't want to tell family members either. They just feel that they're going to be ridiculed and judged. So I think for parents going through this, it's huge because you feel like you're, you're, you're a bad parent. You did a poor job. Um, and I try to remind parents, you know, there's you know, people across the country in Canada all over that are – across the world that are dealing with this. This is not all bad parenting. And there's so many temptations out there that, you know, can drive people to this. So, and I do think the kids, um, yeah, I do think the kids are probably a little more open about it. I think you're, you maybe are onto something with that. I think the younger people, they do feel shame. They don't feel good about themselves. Um, but I think maybe they are more willing to talk openly with their friends about it. And the parent, it just depends on the parents. You know, some of them do have, you know, I try to make sure, you know, try to encourage people to really gather around a, a network, somebody you can tell, a few friends, somebody, a sister, a brother, somebody that can help because it's so isolating to try to do this alone. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, that's such a huge piece of it. And it's it just makes it that much worse, you know, when you are not only have this issue that is, really scary and horrible and um, not, you know, you just don't know where to turn. And then on top of that, you're so embarrassed about it. You feel like you're a bad person 
whether you're the parent or the child doing, you know, involved in it, you feel like you're, you know, you've really dropped the ball. So, yeah, shame is huge for sure. Yeah, um, and stigma too. I, I could see myself wanting to protect a child from thinking that, oh, well, now they, they're going to have trouble getting a job if people know that they went to rehab or they might have, you know, I. Mm-hmm. that's not true. <laughs> but no, and, and uh, parent, I agree with you. Parents do feel like they need to protect them and not say, you know, we don't, we can't talk about this and all that kind of thing. Oh yeah, they feel like they need to keep it quiet. Um, and I think the kids, you know, I'm hoping that that, you know, if they, whether the kids, you know, some of them go to AA, some of them get treatment, some do, you know, all different things. See a therapist. So I'm hoping through that work that they're doing, that they're learning that you know it's okay to be open. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard for young people, though, and I mean, I'm sure you know this, too. I just feel like they go out there. Um, in fact, I talked to a mom today who said they went to a wedding, and her son was, you know, who's newly sober, and all the cousins were there who we hadn't seen in a long time, and, of course, everyone was drinking at the wedding, and it's hard. It's hard, mm-hmm. and I do have so much respect for these young people, well, anybody who's in recovery, because you have to make that decision every single day. But for these young people, I think it's even worse because there's people my age who don't drink for a variety of reasons, you know, health reasons, weight, whatever, you know. Um, but, and it's not a big deal. If somebody doesn't drink, who, you know, who cares? Nobody even thinks about it. But I think younger people, it's more of an issue. You know, it's like, why are you not drinking? You know, what's going on? And so it stands out more. But, yeah, it's hard. It's hard yeah. for sure. What do you think, how do you think it affects young people to have a sober parent? Um, a lot of our listeners are in recovery. The majority of our listeners are in recovery, and and uh, a lot are listening in the contemplative stage and, and, you know, looking for motivation and reasons to make a change in their life. I certainly found, although my kids were pretty much grown by the time I quit drinking, I really felt like, um, being the kind of parent and eventually now a grandparent that I wanted to be was a was a big motivator for me. Um, how does that translate when dealing with a child that's facing um, substance abuse or addiction? I think that's a good point. Um, obviously, I think being a role model for your children and you know showing them that you know I have an issue that I need to manage I mean we look at addiction as something that you know once you know you have it you know what we the goal is that you can manage it well so I think that's huge for parents to demonstrate to their kids that you know I have this issue and I'm managing it and that's you know what I hope for you and we also you know, I think talking to your children, if you have that genetic issue, it doesn't mean your child is necessarily, as you know, it doesn't mean your child's going to necessarily go down that same path. I mean, it could happen, it could not happen, it just depends. But I think it's important that parents have a lots of communication around the issue. And, you know, I think it's really a judgment call on how much you want to share about your own history. Um, I don't think I'm an expert on that one. I think people have to figure that out and what they think is best for their family. But, um, yeah, I think being sober, it, I think it's a great role model for kids to 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 be around. And I think the thing that's nice about it is if you are in a sober home, you don't have the alcohol there. You know, the kids aren't going to open those cupboards and, and find all the alcohol in there. Um, so I think it's, you know, it varies. You don't want your child to 
to get into a thing of, you know, I've been deprived, you know, I've never seen it. So all of a sudden when they have that opportunity, they, they go the other way of wanting to experiment because, you know, it's sort of this forbidden fruit type thing. So I think lots of communication is helpful, just talking it through with your kids. Um, but, you know, what a better role model than to have a sober parent and someone who's really realized that they have an issue and taken those steps to make sure it's managed well. And that's a great role model for kids. So, How much, how how open should a parent be with their children? And maybe it's different at different ages, but do you have any recommendations about that? Would you say for someone that has had their own struggles and, and is presumably in recovery themselves, how much should we share with our kids about about you know our experiences and would you recommend sort of talking more about your recovery than about your addiction with them or what would be some sort of good guidelines and boundaries yeah that? you know i don't know if i have a huge amount of expertise on that particular area i think parents should really use their own judgment um i like what you just said talking more about the recovery rather than the addiction i think you want to think about Age for sure. I mean, little kids obviously don't need to hear all the ins and outs of this. Um, as they go, I do think it's very important for, for kids to know that, you know, it kind of does run in our family, so it's important that you know about this. That doesn't always make a difference. I mean, I've heard parents say, I've told my kids that, and yet, you know, here we are. But, um, but yeah, you know, I don't, you know, honestly, I, I think it's a real judgment call on what you feel comfortable with, not sure that kids need to know every gory detail for sure. That does not need mm-hmm. to be discussed. But um, I think I feel like emphasizing the recovery piece and what you've done well and how you've overcome it, and just letting them know that these are things that can happen. And you know, it's not. It doesn't have a happy ending. You know, there's only so many endings that this situation can have. So you don't want to start down that path. You know, if you can help it, to really just try to be cognizant of being careful and being healthy and knowing that, you know, when you let it get out of control, you know, as you know, it's it's not good, you know, it's not good. So I, I guess I'm not really answering your question very well. I think parents, I guess my answer would be that parents need to really use their own judgment about it and, and think about age levels, you know, too. High school kids obviously can know more than the younger kids, Um and I think, too, every child's different. I guess I would say that because some kids are very sensitive and some children might use that knowledge as an excuse for their behavior. So I think it's important for kids, parents to know their children and what, you know, what would be the benefit, ask himself, what would be the benefit of giving them this information or not, you know. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's great advice. We are just rounding out our hour here. It's been really fascinating. I've learned a lot from you. I want to just take a minute and have you um, talk a bit about the coaching and then the support group that you offer. Sure. Thanks so much. So I do, I offer one-on-one coaching, and um, sometimes it's just with moms, but a lot of times it's with moms and dads, and sometimes I have family groups too, so um, it can become kind of become group coaching in that sense. Um, and I also offer a what's called Rise Up Moms Club, and that's a support group for moms. We meet; It's a coaching membership group, and we meet once a week. Um, we have speakers now coming in, which has been great. I, like, I think the, the moms have really enjoyed that. 
and then I'll send out little emails. We kind of have a theme each month, you know, of different things. So I sort of start out the year with the craft principles of self-care, positive reinforcement, natural consequences. We talk about relapse, those different things. So just giving them a little information about that. Um, I also have a free Facebook group if anyone is interested in that. It's um, Parents of Children Struggling with Drugs and Alcohol, and it's on Facebook. And we have almost 4,000 people in there. So if anyone just, you know, there's great wisdom from other people, so that's another option. And then if you people want to sign up for my list, I have a 16-part email, free email parent course where you can just get tidbits. I try to make them really short, but you can just get little tidbits of the craft approach and some strategies that maybe can help you. Um, so, yeah, so that's there. And um, articles, you know, are, are, you know, I do my – I'm still, I'm still blogging. <laughs> do my blog articles so people can find those there as well too. So. It's a, your website is great. There's so much information there. Quick question about the moms group. Is that online or in person? It's over the phone. So over we have phone. phone calls, you know, um, yeah, so we do it that way. Because I really have parents. I really want to be able to reach a wider audience. And it's interesting that I'm in California. I have a few moms in California. I have some Canadian moms, too, in there, which is nice. I wanted to just share oh, that with awesome. you. Yeah, and I have, but most of the moms are in the middle of the country or East Coast. So, so they can um, be anywhere that, anywhere in the yeah. world, basically. Yeah, awesome. Right. right. That mm-hmm. is so good. All right, let our uh, listeners know where they can find you and how they can reach you. Sure. Um, so it's kathytombaugh.com, and I will spell that. It's Kathy with a C, C-A-T-H-Y, and the last name I know is long and complicated, T-A-U-G-H-I-N-B as in boy, A-U-G-H dot com. They can contact me there. I'm on all the social media sites. My social media on Facebook is called Treatment Talk. That was my initial blog that, um, or my initial website that I use. So you can, I can be found there. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm, I'm all, all those places. So, yeah, people can reach out. <laughs> and I have a link anyway. for you in the show notes for today's show as well. Okay. So um, uh, our listeners should be able to click through from that as well. Well, this is so great. Uh, I really appreciate you. Thank you for the service that you're giving to parents and and young people, and for taking the time today to to uh, help us learn more about this. I really appreciate it. Oh, Jean. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate that too, and I appreciate what you're doing. And I love your podcast and your blog as well. It's great, and I I love the work that you're doing too. So, thank you. I appreciate this opportunity. Oh, glad to have you. Listeners, you uh, can find Kathy on her webpage, or if you want, you can simply write to me, and I will forward it to her. My email address is thebubblehour at gmail.com. That's all for today, everyone. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, take good care.
Looking at you in there And the one who matters 